When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral. Simpler communications. Hello, MD Nation. I'm your host, Dan Mater of the MD's Fantasy Football Show. And before we get started with today's episode, we want to let you know that we're going to be presented today by Podgo. It is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. Be sure to reference this show when you sign up. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And now for the show. Welcome to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, for the MD's fantasy football show, the Belly Up Sports' MD's fantasy football show. And today is the last episode of the Team Profile Series. That's right. Today marks the day that we have now covered all 32 teams that are fantasy values for all 32 of those teams. We had a slew of great interviews one after another, especially early on in the past couple of weeks. We've been going over my rankings versus ADP and what to kind of expect there and trying to start calculating out and getting an idea for some value in your upcoming drafts. Because guess what? It's the end of July. And that means starting in the beginning of August, that about that second week of August, normally speaking, a lot of drafts are going to start to pick up for the season all the way through until that first week of September. It's here. Football is just about here. We are super 
super excited here at this show. Uh, you know, we're still gonna we're gonna stick to once a week episodes for August. We're not gonna bump it up to twice a week uh, like we did last year. There's still a lot of things that are up in the air at this moment, and we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. So we we think one episode a week is going to be just fine. But we will be ramping up to four episodes a week like we normally did. Uh, last year during the season will be on Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. And of course, Mondays and Tuesdays will be the recap show. Now, those shows will not be on uh, video. Uh, we're still trying to work that out. We're hoping maybe we can. We're going to leave the door open to hopefully be able to still be able to do video. At the very least, it may not be from the our normal main studio that you n- normally see us from here today. It will probably be on the road, our mobile studio. So if we do have some kind of video, it won't exactly look the same, uh, but that's still kind of up in the air. Regardless, we'll still be on your favorite podcast apps on Mondays and Tuesdays. And of course, those are the recap shows from Sunday, from the Sunday night and the Monday night games. And of course, the waiver wire report on Tuesdays. That's all what those shows will cover. Now, Thursdays and Fridays, without a doubt, will look how this entire offseason has looked. On It'll be available to you on Sportscaster, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook Live. And of course on your favorite podcast apps and we're newly available to you guys on high art radio if you guys didn't know that go ahead and check that out easy to subscribe there very proud to be a part of that platform now but of course those will be normal like you've seen so far this off season that'll be on thursdays and fridays which will be previewing the thursday night game the early sunday games and of course friday we'll be previewing the late sunday sunday night uh monday night games as well and we're gonna have all those rankings up for you every week we're gonna be doing them just like we did last season to make sure you guys are fully prepared and getting the best information information that you possibly can to help give you an advantage over your opponents, over your friends, because not only do we want you to have bragging rights, we want you to take home the cash prize. We want you to take home the trophy, preferably from Trophy Smack, if you're going to be having a trophy for your leagues. Just a little tidbit from one of our sponsors there. But yeah, we're going to be doing all that stuff for you guys. We're going to be available to you on the Belly Up Sports uh, website. It's bellyupfantasysports.com. The, uh, my pre-draft rankings are already up there now for standard half-point and full-point people. PR leagues. And of course, that'll be updated throughout training camp as people are, are going to get hurt. Uh, transactions are going to be made. It's different uh, information about what players are looking at, what coaches are looking at, what timeshares there might be. So of course, that'll be updated throughout August and we'll be ready to go come uh, week one for the weekly rankings as well. So very exciting stuff. All that coming to you guys. Very excited to do this episode today. We're capping it off. Um, we have our, our last four teams, which are the Cardinals, the Broncos, the Bears, and the Bengals in today's episode. Some interesting teams to be able to talk about. But because today is the last episode of the Team Profile series, that means starting next week where we go into our top five bus five sleeper five for the quarterback position which is what we'll be doing we're also going to be opening up finally once again we're going to have the md nation mailbag segment at the end of each one of those episodes and at the end of every episode except for the uh, the recap episodes we're going to have them for the preview episodes during the season but the recap episodes uh we're not going to have them for obvious reasons you, you have most most of your questions are going to come uh, we, we might open it up for Tuesdays when we have the waiver wire report because some people do have questions for that, but uh, we're definitely going to have it for the preview episodes for for that. So from here on out, pretty much, we're going to have a mailbag segment. What that means is that you have to contact the show to not only get your opportunity to be on the show or mentioned on the show, but 
also to get your question answered by me and make sure you're getting the best advice possible. And the way you can do that is by going to the MD Nation hotline. You can call 609-362-2480. Leave a voicemail with your comment, rant, question, remark. doesn't matter. We'll play you on the show and I will respond to it here live on the episode. And then, of course, if you go, always contact me on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow on Facebook and Twitter. And of course, you can email the show directly, mdsfantasyfootball at gmail.com. And those are all the different ways you can get in contact with the show and we will help you out 100% will respond to anything you send me uh, to help you guys out throughout the season. I am here for you. This is why I do it. And this is why I'm so excited to always be uh, recording these episodes for you guys because we want to go out there and we want to win together. That's what it's all about. We want to win together and take home those cash prizes and have those bragging rates. Uh, so, but let's just go, go ahead and get started getting into the episode here a little bit. The first thing that we're going to talk about is the Arizona Cardinals, but we do want to touch on a few offseason notes. Still not a lot of crazy things happening as of yet. I mean, training camp's not expected to start until July 28th. And the good news on that front is that it sounds like it will actually be able to start, right? Because we have, uh, what, we have... The NFLPA or the NFL finally offered up no preseason games to the NFLPA. That was accepted. They're dropping it from a 90-man roster to an 80-man roster. I don't know what the 10 players less per team is supposed to do. I know in theory it's, well, it's a little less people, easier to keep track. I don't know what 10 people, 10 players per team. I don't know how that number, that arbitrary number really makes it that much safer, that much easier uh, when it comes to the COVID situation. So we'll see. Uh, as far as I know, the active rosters for the in-season are, as of now, staying the same. Now, they're still working out a lot of details. They still have another week to kind of get through it all as well. So we're going to find out exactly what their plan is there. But as of right now, it's still you know a 53-man roster as far as, far as we know. And we'll see that ones up being expanded at all or not. Uh, as we move closer, as they work out some things. But they're heading in the right direction. That's number one. They're, they're, it's not like they're going to pull baseball where the players and the owners just, just can't get on the same page and therefore have delays their season opening because of that on top of the pandemic. That doesn't seem to be the uh, course of action that we're headed down here. So I do expect July 28th training camps to open up. They do have an option out for August, by August 1st that players are going to be allowed to option out at. I don't. I haven't heard anything as of right now of anybody in the NFL really looking to take that option or talking about taking that option. I haven't heard anything about that as of right now. I'm sure if there are some people, we will have to hear about that within the next week. And of course, if you follow me on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow on Twitter, especially, you'll get those player news update notifications 24/7. So we'll keep you up to date in case anything like that uh, were to actually take place. So. We're looking at it today, and we want to talk about. We're going to kick this off with the Arizona Cardinals because there really isn't much other, you know, off-season notes that we really have to take note of that are anything of serious. I don't, I don't, I don't count the Antonio Brown situation as anything serious. Yes, two days later, he says he's not retired now. Ooh, shocker! He never actually retired in the first place. I don't know why anybody even reads his tweets anymore. So <laughs> to move on from that, talking about the Arizona Cardinals, what they're going to do in year two. 
a lot of fantasy implications here. They bring in DeAndre Hopkins. Kyler Murray is expected to be a top 10 guy. Uh, you know, you have Kenyon Drake, who had such a hell of a run last year. A lot of people are debating back and forth whether is he a high-end RB2 or is he, in fact, an actual low-end RB1 this season? Where should you draft him at? Could Christian Kirk bounce back? Where's Larry Fitzgerald's value going to be this season? I think the only thing on this team that's really not taken into consideration as all as far as a fantasy perspective is who cares about the tight end position uh whoever the tight end is of the arizona cardinals the odds are they're really not going to be fantasy relevant at any point during the season let's be real uh so i think that's kind of how we're all looking at it as far as that goes so we have kyler murray first up right and we have to talk about kyler murray we talk about cliff kingsbury because the you know obviously the two go hand in hand but it's where a lot of my question marks come with Kyler Murray comes with this offense in general. What's Cliff Kingsbury going to do? Is he going to run the offense the way he did towards the end of last season where he was running more two tight end sets where he was running the ball in general more often and handing it off to Canyon Drake and that's why he went on his big run and was making the offense more efficient was that something that he picked up along the way that he realized he just had to find a way to get more physical even though they didn't have the best offensive line? And they're not going to have the best offensive line again this season. I don't know why people... People seem to be talking about the Arizona Cardinals like their offensive line vastly improved. It didn't vastly improve. They still have the same guys they did last year. In theory, if they were to stay healthier than they have been, that it would be better because they have a litany of injuries every single year. But it's the same players they brought back who are always injured. So I'm not expecting them to magically find a way to stay healthy this season. We're talking about three years in a row now where we have guys like DJ Humphreys who are only playing like half the season, and 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 whoever they bring at the right guard position seems to be cursed, whether it was Upati or whoever. Upati's gone now. He's on Seattle. But th- these are all guys that consistently get injured over here at Arizona. So until that stops happening, I'm going to count on that one being the case again. I don't think the Arizona Cardinals are going to be a top 15 as far as offensive line play goes. And that was a big reason why they had to move to the two tight end sets. It was a couple of reasons. They, they One, they realized they didn't actually have the wide receivers to run the four receiver sets as often as Cliff Kingsbury would have liked to, right? Because you had a bunch of rookies last year and Larry Fitzgerald and a Christian Kirk who was banged up for part of the season, but still in his own right only in his second year. A lot of young guys who still have a long way to go as far as learning the game. So he realized he couldn't run these guys out there. They're not getting open on a consistent basis. And Kyler Murray was getting killed flat out. Even for as mobile as he was, he was still getting destroyed in the pocket because he couldn't have any time to throw the ball. So you move to a more two tight end set. You move to a more physical mindset. You try to run the ball a little bit more. You try to take some pressure off your rookie quarterback. Great. And it worked out. I mean, they still didn't win that many more games down the stretch, but they they looked a hell of a lot better. Especially with Kenny and Drake running the football. The offense all of a sudden wasn't as pathetic in the red zone. Still wasn't great in the red zone towards the end of the stretch, but it wasn't as pathetic in the beginning of the year. It was bad. I mean, Zane Gonzalez, Zane Gonzalez finished as a top 10 kicker last season. Not, not because he has a big leg, because he doesn't, but he had a high volume of field goals between 30 and 45 yards. And that was why he was a, he was a top 10 last year. I don't know if that changes. So that, that's, that goes back to the original question of what offense are you going to run, Kingsbury? Because now that you brought in DeAndre Hopkins, and I've been harping on this all offseason, now that you brought in DeAndre Hopkins and you have Larry Fitzgerald and you have Christian Kirk going into his third year, and whether it's Isabella or Butler or Keyshawn Johnson, you have three receivers that you did like that you spent a lot of draft capital on heading into their second year. So 
they should expectedly be at least a little bit better as when it comes to route running, understanding the offense and, and such. Are you going to think to yourself, especially early on in the season, that you now have the personnel to go back to running your four wide receiver sets and spraying the ball out more like we know you would really like to? Is that what you're going to do? Because I'm telling you right now, that's what he winds up going back to doing. Then the red zone woes they had last season are going to crop up again all over again. And if that happens, then I don't like Kenyon Drake's value as much. I don't like Kyler Murray's value as much because he's going to get destroyed again behind that offensive line and I don't see a lot of touchdowns coming their way. Or are you going to stick to your two tight end set, maybe not play so many of the other wide receivers? As a result, maybe DeAndre Hopkins is the only wide receiver that you have value for, but you're a little bit better in the red zone. You're a little bit more of an efficient offense. Kenyon Drake's value goes back up again. I even like Kyler Murray more in those circumstances because he won't be asked to do too much. And make no mistake, Kyler Murray cannot be asked to do a lot right now. I know everybody loves Kyler Murray. Look, first of all, he doesn't have a cannon. I want that on record right now. I am so sick and tired of hearing how Kyler Murray has this Michael Vick, Patrick Mahomes. No, he doesn't. It's not even close. He has above average arm strength, period. Period. He's not letting it fly. It's not nothing like I've never seen before. It definitely doesn't touch Vic. It definitely doesn't touch Patrick Mahomes. Can we please get that on record? Can we please stop twisting that? He's not as fast as Lamar Jackson running the football. He's not as much of a dynamic runner. Is he fast? Yes. Can he run? Absolutely. It's why he's the top fantasy quarterback. But he's not as fast as Lamar Jackson. So stop trying to make Kyler Murray into the unicorn. He doesn't have that skill set. Watch it on tape. Now, don't get what I said just twisted. He doesn't have that skill set because all I kept hearing was he has Lamar Jackson's speed with Patrick Mahomes' arm. Well, if that was true, then he'd be the unicorn. He's not. He's still five foot nothing. He still has trouble seeing over his offensive line. He's not sure Breeze accurate with the football, and he can't read defenses. And I think that was proven last season. Did he have a terrible rookie year? No. He had an okay rookie year, especially considering for what was around him being that it was a bad team, but it wasn't an incredible rookie year. It wasn't, it wasn't even close to Baker Mayfield's rookie year. And that meant what going into his second season? So my point is just simmer your hype on how good you think Kyler Murray is as a quarterback. He still has a long way to go. And I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm not saying he can't develop. I don't, I'm not saying he doesn't have a good all-around skill set when it comes to throwing and rushing the football. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that Cliff Kingsbury's going to go back to running his predominantly four wide receiver sets and asking Kyler Murray to sit back there, read defenses, get the ball out of his hands quickly, and be the one to make plays and be the one to carry the team. He's not ready for that yet. And it's going to be a widely inefficient offense, especially in the red zone, just like it was last year. Because it's hard to be a good red zone offense when you're running that kind of spread offense. You got to get more physical. Now, what would be the best case scenario is if he could take what he did towards the end of last season, Cliff Kingsbury, that is, and he could take what he really wants to do with the added weapon of DeAndre Hopkins and mix the two. Know that when I get 30 yards or closer to the red zone, I need to start beefing up the line a little bit more. Maybe I'll go to more two tight end sets. Maybe I'll look to run the football a little bit more. Maybe I'll look to be a little bit more physical while still being able to play an up-tempo offense and spread it out between the 20s. If he can mix the two, then we'll be okay. But we haven't seen him mix the two. We saw him play one way in the beginning of the season, and we saw him play a completely different way at the end of the season. 
Now, here's what I'll give him as far as that goes. He made adjustments. I'll give you that. Not every coach makes adjustments, so I will I will give you credit for that. Not every coach will make an adjustment to that, especially a new coach coming out of college who's determined to run his system to prove that what he does at the college level can work at the NFL level. And make no mistake, that's what Kingsbury really wants to do, which is why I think, especially in the beginning of the season, he's going to go back to running a predominantly spread offense. But he did make an adjustment. So I give him credit for that. So maybe we can see a combination of that. Maybe there's hope for that. I don't put a lot... I don't. If you can, if you can tell, I don't have a lot of faith in coaches who haven't shown me something yet. I don't have a lot of faith in coaches to not be stubborn. Let's put it that way. Because most of them are. Most of them are set in their ways. Most of them are not fluid, even though that's what you should be to be a great coach at, that, at the NFL level. They're not fluid. So that's where I have a lot of question marks because how they play the scheme is really going to matter on the efficiency and can, most importantly, for fantasy purposes, the consistency of these players from a week-to-week basis. Now, having said all this, even with my my spiel on tempering what you think of Kyler Murray, I still have him in half-point PPR leagues, and not that it matters for quarterback, but just so you guys are remembering when we talk about rankings on this show, we're talking about from a half-point PPR standpoint. I have Kyler Murray's quarterback six. His ADP is quarterback four. Not a huge difference there. Pretty much just saying he's going to be hovering around the top five, top six of quarterbacks. He's a QB one. He is. Because even if he doesn't have great passing numbers, and I don't have him going for a ton. I have him for about 4,100 yards, 22 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. That's not great passing numbers. But because of his athletic ability, I have him rushing for nearly 600 yards and about five rushing touchdowns. And that's something, that is something that should be well within the realm of possibility for him to be able to accomplish well within the realm of possibility. It's that rushing factor. When you're talking about fantasy quarterbacks, you've got a guy who's going to rush between 30 to 50 yards a game, which Kyler Murray is certainly in that position to do so. you got a guy who's going to have a very high floor for that position week in and week out. And to everyone's point of, you know, the people with ADP, why he's QB4, why people want him to be this year's Lamar Jackson, I don't. he's not going to be quite on that level. There's, in fact, I would say there's zero chance he's on that level of what Lamar Jackson was a season ago. But the reason why he want, they everybody wants them to be this year's Lamar Jackson is because if he does have a better-than-expected passing year to go along with those rushing yards, then, yeah, he's probably going to find himself hovering around the top three territory. It's very If you have that 30 to 50 yards rushing per game, you're going to have a high floor. Kyler Murray, like I said, even with that whole spiel, is still having his QB6. So I'm not telling you not to take him. I'm still saying he's going to be a quarterback one. I'm just tired of hearing people say that he's a unicorn from a talent perspective. He's not. That's that's my only real beef there. Now, when you examine this from the running back situation, again, coming back to what type of offense are you going to be? Because if you run this predominantly for receiver offense, while the receiving for the running backs, the dump-offs might be there, uh, I don't have a lot of faith that your running game is going to be all that proficient. I mean, let, let's let's remember here, it wasn't just that Kenyon Drake came in and fit the offense better or was uh, better than people realize. I mean, I was always a Kenyon Drake apologist on this show. You you guys at MD Nation know that. But <clears throat> it wasn't just because of that that he came in and did well and he was finally given the opportunity. They changed their scheme. They went more beefier. They went more two tight end sets. They they made a plan that they were going to be a run first team down the stretch and will kind of work off of Kenyon Drake that way. I don't think this is Kenyon Drake's offense heading into this season like it was at the end of last year. 
And I'm only saying that to make the point of, I don't think you can make Kenyon Drake an RB1. Where a lot of people are, there's that big debate of whether is he a high in RB2 or is he an RB1. I think there's still too many question marks in my mind that I can point to between the what scheme are they really going to be running with Cliff Kingsbury, the fact that Kenyon Drake has not been in a position to actually be the bell cow for a full 16-game season. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Every year with the Miami Dolphins, we thought that was going to be, this is the year, 2018, this is the year is going to be Kenyon Drake, 2019, this is the year is going to be Kenyon Drake, 2020, this is the year is going to be Kenyon Drake with Adam Gase finally gone. And at no point with the Miami Dolphins did he ever turn into the bell cow. He was never the bell cow towards the end of last season with the Arizona Cardinals. We haven't seen him do it for 16 games. So that raises the question in and of itself. We're not talking about a guy who's built like a tank. We're not talking about a guy who's built like a, an Ezekiel Elliott or, or, or built like a Saquon Barkley or built like a Derrick Henry where it's like, oh, he hasn't done it before because the way he's built, I can, I can still feel like I have that confidence. He's not built that way. Which goes back to my other point of, I think Chase Edmonds is going to be more involved in this offense than people realize or you know, want to acknowledge. Chase Edmonds, first of all, is a very good back. Now, he's not a superstar. He's not on the same level as Kenyon Drake. Do not get me twisted. There's some people out there who are Chase Edmonds lovers who think he should be the starting running back, which is ridiculous. Few and far between, but I've run into those people. But he's a very good backup. He could do everything. He do a little bit of everything. And if Kenyon Drake goes down, they don't miss that much of a step by bringing in Chase Edmonds. That's the key point. And I think Chase Edmonds is going to play a significant enough amount where Kenyon Drake, this is still his backfield, and I do believe he'll play all three downs. I do believe he'll be a featured back. But is it going to be a 75-25 split? No. I think best case scenario, it's a 65-35 split, possibly even 60-40 between the two, depending on how high tempo they want to run, because they run super up tempo. They may rotate Chase Edmonds and Kenyon Drake in and out a little bit more so than people want to expect, just to keep them fresh. I think 60-40 is probably the minimum split. I think 65-35, which is what I have them projected for, is more the realistic uh, split to expect between Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds. But a lot of these feature backs, the Derrick Henry types, Ezekiel Elliott types, the Saquon Barkley types, the Christian McCaffrey types, those featured level backs are all 80 to 90% of the workload with a, a minimum of 75% of the workload. He's not going to be on that level. Now, no one was making the argument that he belonged in the top five anyway, but I'm just trying to make the point of 
he's not going to be quite featured like other future backs in the NFL are. So that takes away a little bit of volume there. Now, having said all this, I have Kenyon Drake ranked as the 14th running back overall in half-point PBR leagues. His ADP is 11. So I'm a tad lower on him, but we're about in the same territory. His ADP of 11 would suggest that he's a low-end RB1 in those uh, 12-man leagues. I just don't think he's quite an RB1. I would not, I would not be okay with taking Kenyon Drake in the first round, especially when, we're ta- just especially when we're talking about a guy we haven't seen take on a full workload for 16 games and be able to stay healthy. We haven't seen it. Now, that he's been, had a big injury history. He's been injured in the past. But now he's a big injury history, but we just haven't seen him take on that kind of workload for that long yet. And that does concern me to, to some degree. It concerns me that the Cardinals, even if they are smart in the red zone, are still probably not going to be one of the better red zone offenses. Those things concern me to, enough so where I'm going to keep Kenyon Drake as a high-end RB2. And I, my big thing on this show that, that I always will preach to you guys when it comes to your drafts, Draft value number one. There's only to me. There's only one draft. You can you can make up zero running back. You can you know you could say I want to go uh, running back receiver quarterback or running back receiver tight end, and I want to build around a big three. You can have all these different strategies out. There's only one strategy that will work, no matter what league, no matter what year, time and time again, and that is drafting the best value. That is the number one strategy. That is what you utilize. So I'm always going to harp on drafting the best value at your pick. And I'm always going to harp on making sure, at the very least, you do not overvalue, you do not overdraft. That is the biggest thing. Because even if you don't necessarily draft the best value at your position, as long as you don't drastically overdraft and overvalue, you'll wind up being okay at the end of the day. You'll wind up going into the season with a team that with a few waiver wire pickups or a few trades is going to be right there in the mix at the end every year. So that's why we harp on that so much here at the MD Sunday Football Show. So I don't want you guys to overvalue. I'm not taking Kenyon Drake in the first round. There's just there's still too many factors for me to be comfortable with him in that position. It also brings me to DeAndre Hopkins. Now, in DeAndre Hopkins' case, people are still ranking him as a top five wide receiver. In, in fact, his ADP is wide receiver four. MD Nation, say it with me. Let someone else make that mistake because taking DeAndre Hopkins as the wide receiver four overall, meaning possibly a fourth, uh, a first round pick, po- uh, definitely at least a second round pick for a lot of people in their home drafts around the world. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm going to give you a little sneak preview. DeAndre Hopkins is probably going to be one of my bust wide receivers. Now, he's not going to be a bust wide receiver in the sense of if you take him, I think he's going to be a league loser for you. He's not going to be the reason you lose your league. So DeAndre Hopkins we're talking about here. But if you take him as your wide receiver one, as one of your core pieces of your team, as the anchor of that unit, you're going to be disappointed. I'm telling you right now, you're going to be disappointed. The red zone issues matter especially with DeAndre Hopkins. Remember the last time he finished with about six touchdowns? He was wide receiver 30 with the Houston Texans. I don't know if that's going to be out of the realm possibility this year for the Arizona Cardinals. Even though Hopkins himself will help them a little bit in the red zone, yes. And even though if Cook Kingsbury does some things that we've talked about with his coaching schematics when he gets inside the 20, might help them be at least improved from where they were last season, 
they're still not going to be one of the better ones. And I still don't see DeAndre Hopkins, who teams really have no reason not to double. I'm sorry, all this talk about Larry Fitzgerald's a good receiver. He's a good, he's a good chain mover at this point in his career, but he's nothing more than a safety blanket at this point in his career. He's not a, he's not a dollar mover. Christian Kirk is a nice complimentary piece, but he's really a third receiver on a good team. He's nothing I'm worried about. There's really no reason for teams not to continue to double DeAndre Hopkins. And not that that hasn't stopped him in the past. But Kyler Murray is not as good of a quarterback as Deshaun Watson. He's not. This is not an upgraded situation for DeAndre Hopkins. The only way that this could become an upgraded situation is if they run such an up-tempo offense that there's just more volume in the passing game. But I don't know how that's going to be. I don't think the Arizona Cardinals are going to throw the ball any more than the Houston Texans did a season ago. And right now, I'm looking at it. I, I Look, do I have DeAndre Hopkins still leading the way? Yeah. Do I have him at... I have him roughly for about 1,100 yards. But I only have him for six, seven touchdowns at best. I'm having a little trouble pulling up by uh, my list here at at the moment for for some reason um, to figure out exactly where he is. But I can tell you overall, I have him in that third, fourth round territory. I don't have him in those first two rounds. He's not going to be my wide receiver one. In a good scenario, he would be a high-end wide receiver two. And I I have him at wide receiver 11. Finally, I could find. I finally have found my list. I actually thought I was a little bit lower in him uh, than that in my head, but yeah, 134 targets, 90 receptions, 1,100 yards, six touchdowns. That's going to be the killer. That's going to be what keeps him out of the top ten. I don't think there's a scenario. I don't think there's a, a case you can make to make me feel like you can reasonably expect him to score many more touchdowns than that. Maybe seven, but if you tell me eight. There's no proof for that. There's no analytics for that. There's no there's no data that would support that. That he sets up for eight touchdowns in this offense. If he's not a double digit touchdown possibility guy, how can he be in the top ten? That's why I have him number eleven. Now in PPR leagues, a little bit different. I still have him getting a high volume, 134 targets. I mean, that would put him in the top ten as far as targets go. I'm not saying the volume is not going to be there. I'm not even saying the yards are going to be there. Over 1,100 yards. But I think he's going to be utilized more closer to the line of scrimmage because Watson, frankly, has a much better arm than Kyler Murray does. I think they're going to utilize him more that way, a little bit more dink and dunk in their in their spread version. So I don't think he's getting as many yards per catch as he was with Deshaun Watson with Kyler Murray and that offense. And like I said, the big thing is the touchdowns because if you only get six touchdowns, which is what I haven't projected for, and expect for that's going to put him at a real disadvantage compared to the other wide receivers in the top 10. They're not a good red zone team. Kyler Murray's not a good red zone quarterback. He can't see over the line of scrimmage. Can't see over the line of scrimmage. I mean, look at the tape from last year. I watched countless games where this guy was, he was literally taking a step back before throwing the football and I'm not talking about taking I'm not talking about throwing the football off his back foot taking a step back so he could see and then throwing it forward I've never seen that in my life and he did it multiple times 510 my ass 
first and foremost. We can go back to those combines. Five ten. He's five ten. My ass. I, he's he's no more than five nine, and that does wind up being an issue when you're that small. You have a great skill set. Yes, yeah, small quarterbacks have done in the past. When you're that small, it does become an issue at some point, unless you're able to adjust in a drastically different way and become much more accurate. But DeAndre Hopkins is not going into a better situation. He's going into a worse one. As well, I don't understand why people can still have him in the top five. I have question marks all over the place, especially when it comes to his touchdown capability. So I'm telling you right now, MD Nation, let someone else make that mistake. His value is not in the top 10, period. That's going to wrap it up for the Arizona Cardinals. Before we move on for you guys, though, I do want to talk to you guys about the uh, Hubble podcast app. It's a new podcast app. You can rate or review this episode on the new Hubble podcast app. It's the first listening app that allows you to rate and review podcast episodes. That's Hubble, H-U-B-L. Look for it on the Apple Store, Google Play Store, and give them a follow on social media at Hubble Podcast app. You can send your your feedback there, your views there for this show, any other of your your favorite podcast shows. And it's a good way because if you do that, then we can actually get a pretty good idea um, of what you're listening to, what what you would like to have maybe change, what you think could be better, uh, what you do like, all those kinds of things. It's a good way to kind of give feedback with the show so we can make this show better for you because that's what this show is for. It's not for me. It's for you. It's for you to enjoy. It's for you to be informed. It's for it's for you to you know kill some time on that drive with or or throughout your day. So we want to be the best show that we could possibly be for you. So let us know how to do that for you. Now, the next team up that we're going to talk about is the Denver Broncos. This is another interesting team, another very interesting, another controversial team in a sense of a lot of their value is going to come down to what's going to be the situation with their quarterback play and also offensive scheme because you have a new offensive scheme. You have Pat Shermer, new offensive coordinator, not new in the league, obviously, but the Denver Broncos and a lot of exciting young weapons, right? Because you have what? Jerry Judy. KJ, KJ Hamler, who I personally was not a big fan of coming out of the draft, but I think he his skill set and what he's going to be asked to do in this offense does fit perfectly from an NFL standpoint. You bring in Melvin Gordon. Noah Fant goes into his year two after a decent rookie season, up and down, but promising nonetheless. And the big key, of course, is Drew Locke. What do you have at a Drew Locke? Is he the future franchise guy? A lot of question marks. Now, first and foremost, let's get this out the way right now. I have Drew Glock as the QB 28 heading into this season. His ADP is about the QB 24. So I'm a little bit lower, but basically everybody's in line that he is nothing more than a very low-end QB 2, more of a QB 3 than anything else. Which goes to this point. It hinders everybody else to some degree. I love Pat Shermer as the offensive coordinator. But when you have an inaccurate quarterback who has a gunslinger mentality, which is Julak, you can expect a lot of turnovers, number one. Uh, Number two, receivers are going to have missed opportunities because they're going to have situations where they're open. Or they're going to have situations where the ball gets to them, but it gets behind them or on them instead of leading them. And they're going to have missed opportunities to produce after the catch. 
That happens when you have inaccurate quarterbacks. That's what Drew Locke is. He was inaccurate all throughout college. He was inaccurate last year as well, especially when you got beyond, I believe it was his splits were once you got beyond 10 yards, he was very inaccurate. Even though he does have a naturally strong arm. This is like a Josh Allen situation. His arm isn't as strong as Josh Allen's, but it's a Josh Allen situation where he does have a very naturally strong arm when it just comes to velocity and, 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 and length as far as you can throw the football. But it's not accurate. It's not accurate at all. He has a strong arm. He doesn't have arm Strength, And for those of you who don't know the difference or, or aren't familiar with the difference with this show, we've talked about that throughout the draft process, especially when it came to Justin Herbert. He said he has a strong arm. He can throw it far, but he doesn't have arm strength. And what arm strength to me is, is the ability to take that strong arm and actually have control over it have the accuracy with it, but more about having the control over it. He doesn't have control over that arm. So when he gets past 10 yards, he's highly inaccurate unless he's dumping the ball off. Now, here's what I'll say, and I've said it a few times throughout this offseason. Pat Shermer is the one offensive coordinator where I will hesitate completely dumping on Drew Locke not being the future or not being able to be productive enough to keep guys like Cortland Sutton and Melvin Gordon and Jerry Judy and keeping their fantasy ceilings high. He's the one reason I will hesitate to not completely just dump that that's impossible for Drew Locke to do because we've seen Pat Shermer do more with less at the quarterback position when he has weapons running his offense, a.k.a. Case Keenum. How great did Case Keenum look with the Minnesota Vikings under Pat Shermer? When has Case Keenum ever looked like a competent NFL starting quarterback other than that one season. Pat Shermer had weapons. He was able to run his offense. He made it simple for his quarterback who had a limited skill set, and he's able to make a scheme around that. That's why I give Pat Shermer a lot of credit. And I also say this, the Giants shouldn't have fired Pat Shermer. They should not have fired Pat. There was no reason to fire Pat Shermer. I don't know what Pat Shermer was supposed to do with that offense or, or I should say with that team's talent in general. I don't know where he was supposed to achieve or I don't know. Making the playoffs was never an option in the two years that Pat Shermer was a head coach there with the talent that they had. So I don't know what he was supposed to do. And I think that Daniel Jones and that offense in general would be a lot better off today if Pat Shermer was still the head coach of that team. So Pat Shermer moving to the Denver Broncos, Pat Shermer getting fired if you're new to fantasy football or football in general, it's not a reflection on him doing a bad job. It's not. It's very exciting, in fact. And he's the reason why I think Cortland Sutton can maintain his fantasy value that he's accrued for himself that a lot of people are excited for when it, when it comes to him. I have him as wide receiver 13 in half-point PPR leagues, so I have him as the highest of wide receiver twos in 12-man leagues. I have him for 138 targets. I have him for 87 receptions. Oh, just over 1,100 yards and about seven touchdowns. And that'll get him the wide receiver 13. We know Cortland Sutton's a superstar now, I think. I was always a big Cortland Sutton fan, but it, last year, everybody jumped on the bandwagon. He'd be having his breakout year and he had, recognizing that he has the physique of a true 
wide receiver one perimeter superstar who can do it all because he can run routes. He has very good hands. He has explosive capability. He can go up and catch the ball. I mean, he's just he's your prototypical superstar in the making type of wide receiver. And because of Pat Shermer, I think he can keep his value there because while Drew Locke worries me, I know the scheme. I know he'll get him the ball. So Cortland Sutton, I don't think, changes too much for me. I think the big question a lot of people have is, you know, Jerry Judy, what what is he in redraft leagues? And his ADP is at wide receiver 40. I believe, as I pull it up, I'm, I'm a bit lower than that. And that is where kind of the Drew Locke factor takes into consideration for me, where I have question marks how well he can establish a second wide receiver in that offense. I have Jerry Judy ranked as a wide receiver 51. Now, what I will say about that is I definitely he definitely has some sleeper potential because, look, as far as rookie wide receiver, I'm not big on rookie wide receivers in generally speaking. Now, they have been more productive over the past couple of years uh, than in previous history to that, but... Jerry Judy is probably the most polished wide receiver I, I can remember coming out of college, the most NFL-ready wide receiver I can, I can remember. And his skill set, you want to talk about a match made in heaven, perfectly, perfectly complements Cortland Sutton and what he wants to do and what he's great at. And the fact that Jerry Judy, as good as he is with separation and route-running skills that he has, the hands that he has, the, the ability to run after the catch that he has if you're able to hit him in stride, as a second receiver on that second corner, who's not going to be getting all the attention in the world, is very interesting situation. So while I have him, say, one spot behind Nikhil Harry, two spots behind Tyrell Williams, that has more to do with what's your volume going to be? Because he he does have he is an offensive system. He is in a situation that I think perfectly fits him that he could outproduce that you know, that 51 rank, maybe even the ADP of 40 rank. So I don't mind taking Jerry Judy as a flyer, as a potential sleeper late in drafts. Now, you just have to temper your expectations, and you're also going to have a guy that you're going to have to wait and see how that offensive look before you can actually play him with any confidence. But he's definitely a guy who I'm looking at later on who is in a position to outproduce his expectations or his reasonable projections heading into your drafts, heading into your season for obvious reasons. I have him for 90 targets. I think that's the big question. I, I If he can get up, up and over 100, then that's why I think he's he'll be real, really have an opportunity to outshine my ranking and his ADP. And just, you know, for the record, I have him for about five touchdowns, about 768 yards. It's just going to come down to how many targets are you really going to get and you know how accurate are those targets going to be. But I think he's a sleeper worthy. Now, KJ Hamler is not a guy that you're going to be talking about at all in redraft leagues. You're not drafting him. But is he a guy that I could see myself putting in my lineup as a, a back-end ad in my DFS lineup for a tournament play that week? Yeah. Because his skill set also complements the other two perfectly. Like I said, I'm not a big KJ Hamler fan. And the big reason why I wasn't a big KJ Hamler fan is one, I do not trust this guy to catch the ball in traffic. And two, I don't think he's a very good route runner. I think he's, he's a one trick pony. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. But when you have guys like Courtney Sutton and Jerry Judy who can already do a little bit of everything on the outside, all you really need is a one-trick pony to stretch the field. And you have Noah Fant over the middle... There's going to be a, probably a couple of games this season where KJ Hamler just gets left wide open and just toasts the defense down the field and, and catches a couple bombs and has a game where he goes for 100 yards and two touchdowns because he was just not covered or, or was just the last man the defense was thinking about and gets left wide open because you know some unassuming nickel corner who doesn't have his speed to be able to keep up. So is he somebody who I'm going to probably add in those situations? Yeah, but those games, I, he might get two or three of them this year at most, which is why he's not a value for redraft leagues. And, and to that point, best ball. You want to take him as a late sleeper in best ball? I'm okay with that too because, like again, you're probably going to get maybe two or three games where he's able to boost your stats. He's going to be one of your starting receivers. But that's all you're talking about him, and we're not talking about him redraft and even dynasty. You know, he's never going to be a high volume guy, so he has some. He's going to have some value there, but we're we're not talking crazy value here. But that's what you can expect there for KJ Hamler. Uh, for the record, his, his ADP is, is is wide receiver eighty seven, um, and I I'm actually I actually have him ranked as wide receiver eighty one for for the year. Just just for your guys' information. Now, let's get into one of the more dynamic conversations when it comes to the Denver Broncos, which is what we're talking about with Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. There's a lot of back and forth in this situation. So when you're reading the tea leaves and you're trying to get an indication from the team, which, first of all, is very, very difficult to do, especially since we haven't had training camp to begin with. But this spring, since they've signed Melvin Gordon and they paid Melvin Gordon $8 million, which you know is not as much as he was hoping for, but for... The going rate for running backs, especially over the last two offseason, you know, not named Le'Veon Bell, uh, that's a good that's a lot of money for a running back right now. And in the spring, if you talk to the actual people amongst the coaching staff, the sentiment is that Melvin Gordon was going to be the guy, not just the starter, but the guy, the three down guy, the featured running back of this offense, the guy who might have the opportunity to be a workhorse. Now, my caveat to that was always, I've always felt like Philip Lindsay is too good to just become a backup and has produced too well to just be a backup. I know this is a new coaching regime. I know it's going to be a little bit of a different offense. I know Pat Shermer has a history of sticking to predominantly one featured running back. That's what he likes to do. He likes to stay in rhythm that way. But Philip Lindsay has been too good, has produced too well to just be a mere backup running back. Now, and then... I think I believe it was two weeks ago. We had the story about you know Philip Lindsay's going to have a shot. Maybe it'll be closer to a fifty-fifty split. This was coming from uh, a beat writer who covers the team. Uh, it wasn't coming from the team itself. 
And I, cause what I can say to that is it's not going to be a 50-50 split, number one. But is it going to be more than a 75-25 split? Again, like what we talked about, that 75-25 kind of being the mark of a true featured back. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be closer than that. Right now, I have it as a 60-35 split, and I still kick over a little bit over the Royce Freeman. Just I believe Royce Freeman's probably going to get cut or traded. I don't you brought in Melvin Gordon. Phil Lindsay's definitely the backup. Royce Freeman to me is too valuable to just keep on the team. Uh, his contract's up after this season. I think if they've really had their choice, they could trade him for a sixth-round pick, even a seventh-round pick, just to get some value back for him. I think that's something the Denver Broncos would do. So I I question whether Royce Freeman is really going to be on this team come opening day or not, one way or another. Whether it's to, to make roster spots open, I, I think he is a cut candidate. Uh, I think preferably they would trade him. But one way or another, I do think there's a decent chance he's not going to be Denver Bronco come week one. But until he's actually gone from the team, if he is on that roster, I'm like, he's going to get a little bit of work. So I had to kick a little bit to him too. So, but it's, it's like I said, it's a, a, a 60-30, a 65-30, that kind of range split with Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. But that's across the board. I'm not just talking about that in carries. I'm also talking about that for the receiving work. And that's where I think Melvin Gordon will be viewed as a featured guy throughout the season when it comes to the Denver Broncos because he is going to play all three downs. I do believe he's going to be the one to get the majority of the passing work. Philip Lindsay can catch the ball. Philip Lindsay is very good out in space. We all know this. But the problem Philip Lindsay has had is that he's not a very good pass blocker. And even if he, you know, even if he knows where to go, even if he had good technique, he's so small that it doesn't matter. When you're just that small of a running back, you're just at a, a physical disadvantage on the NFL level to be able to block a linebacker or a safety barreling down on a blitz. It's just it's just hard to do or a defensive lineman. So that I mean that's a that's a big reason why we saw a lot of Royce Freeman on third downs and passing downs last season. It was, it was a bit more mix and match than I think we're going to see with Melvin Gordon, but that's why we saw a lot of him there. It was because he could he just offered better protection, and he could catch the ball still. Melvin Gordon's a good pass catching back. We, I think we all know this now after you know years with the Chargers. So I do think Melvin Gordon's in a situation where he will be looked at as the featured guy. He might not be, again, like we talked about with Kenyon Drake, is he on the same level as those true workhorse backs, I would say, in the NFL? No, he's not going to be quite on that percentage level. But if you're getting 60 or more percent of the work across the board carries all the way through to targets and receptions, you're going to be a very productive running back. And in half-point PPR leagues, I have him ranked as running back 19, which just so happens to actually be his ADP as well, right at 19. So... Uh, myself and the ADP are, are are right right in line there as far as what Melvin Gordon's value is, which puts him at about the late third, mid-fourth round territory. A very solid RB2. He's going to get a good amount of work. I have him for about 900 yards, seven touchdowns uh, rushing, You know, getting about 68 targets with 54 receptions, almost 400 yards, and a touchdown or two receiving. And I think that's a very reasonable expectation. This offensive line, while not great, I think there is an argument to be made that they could possibly improve their play because they're still kind of on the younger side with some of their guys. And Pat Shermer's always done a pretty good job, even with average offensive lines, being able to make them look better than what they necessarily are and improve. Remember, again, Minnesota, we go back to that year where we had Case Keenum. That wasn't a very good offensive line, but he was able to make them look better than what they actually were through his scheme. 
a lot more quick passing, uh, zone type of running. We're going to see that a lot more this year too. So, yeah, Melvin Gordon, I think, is a very, very solid RB2. And he's getting drafted right where, you know, right where I think his value is. Now, Phil Lindsay, I think, is one of them I'm a little bit different on when it comes to the ADP. His, his ADP right now is, is 38, and I'm lower than that. I, I have him as RB52. Uh, to me, for him to be RB38, that means he has to be getting at least 40 maybe even 45% of the work across the board. And I don't know if that's ever going to be the case. I don't think it's ever going to be quite a six. I think 60, 40 split is the most it could ever be between the two of them. I don't think he'll ever, I don't think he'll consistently reach that point. I think 35 is more in the realm of expectations uh, for Philip Lindsay, as far as the work share goes for the running back position on the Denver Broncos. So to me, he winds up being an RB 52 um, because ADP RB thirty eight. You're talking about that. You're talking about in twelve man leagues. Then you're talking about a guy who's just missing the cusp with possibly being a flex play week in and week out. Phil Lindsay, as long as Melvin Gordon is healthy is on and on the field, is never going to be a guy who's going to be an option for me in the flex. And that's where it kind of reflects my rankings. Now, is he a valuable handcuff? Yes, but because Melvin Gordon is not a RB1, because he's not somebody I'm taking in the first round, I don't believe in taking handcuffs for that. The only time I don't even, I don't ever really, really want to take a handcuff, period, because to me, it just wastes a roster spot because you're just waiting around for somebody to get injured or just, you know, securing yourself. But to me, the only time it's it's worthy is if, like, the Dalvin Cook situation, where the, whether he, you know, his injury proneness or the holdout, which we're not really expecting anymore at this point or not expecting to last long anyway. Uh, yes, if you take Dalvin Cook in the first round, especially as a top five pick, then you're probably going to need to take Alexander Madison to ensure that you get the return on your investment. Um, otherwise, you're putting yourself at a huge risk to possibly get completely burned. That way, if you at least have Alexander Madison, you take out an insurance policy on, on that on that pick, on that investment. With Melvin Gord being in the third, fourth round, it's not necessary to insure that pick. So I don't know if I'm going to waste a roster spot on Philip Lindsay, but I would have him on my watch list. I would be making sure that if you know something were to happen, I'm in position on the waiver wire to, to be able to pick him up because he is going to be a priority handcuff to me if I do have Melvin Gordon. So he falls into that range, but he's not going to be a borderline flex play like his ADP would suggest at having him RB38. Uh, talking about the tight ends. I knew there was some, still something else about the Broncos that we had to talk about. Uh, talking about the tight ends. Talking about Noah Fant. I have him as tight end eight. I have him as a top ten tight end. He's Is it going to be inconsistent? Yeah, probably, because there's going to be games where uh, you know, it's going to be Cortland Sutton getting targeted. It's going to be Jerry Judy getting targeted. It's going to be Melvin Gordon getting targeted. And Noah Fant might get left out here and there. But that's going to happen with the tight end position if you're not named Travis Kelster or George Kittle on a week-to-week basis anyway. With Noah Fant, he has that excellent athletic ability that we all know about. So this is a guy who can be a big playmaker. He can be a tight end who goes for 100 yards and a couple of touchdowns because he stretched the seam that day. And and because defense is, again, kind of like the K.J. Hamler situation where I said he's going to probably have a couple games where he has some big games just because defenses can't key on him. Defenses can't really key on Noah Fant either because of the wide receiver talent around them. And because he's such a mismatch with his athletic ability, you can't put a linebacker on him. You can't put a safety on him. So he's going to have opportunities where he's wide open too. 
And I have him for about 94 targets, 66 receptions, 683 yards, maybe four or five touchdowns. And that should be enough to put him as a tight end one, top 10, like I have him, like I said, tight end eight. And I think that's a reasonable expectation, and it wouldn't surprise me if he wound up with the opportunity to outproduce that. I think I think that, you know that projection for me, I think, is a little bit closer to his floor than his ceiling in this instance. So it wouldn't surprise me if Noah Fant was competing for the top six or maybe even the top five this year, possibly if he was able to get efficient looks. But I think a safe estimate for him would be tight end eight. His ADP is tight end eleven, so I'm a little bit higher on him. Like I said, it just comes to down the athletic ability. And while I know it's not going to be consistent from week to week, like I don't think he's he's not on the level of a Hayden Hurst. He's not on the level of a Mark Andrews, a Zach Ertz. You know, obviously George Kill and Travis Kelsey. He's not on a, he's not on the same level as the volume that we can expect Darren Waller to see. He's not going to be on that level of consistency week to week. But if you don't get one of those guys and you get Noah Fant, you know that you're still going to get a guy who's a top ten tight end. And you're going to have weeks that are big weeks where he's going to be the key crucial piece to help you win you those weeks. And the weeks that he doesn't, well, then how is he different than almost every other tight end who's not in the top five anyway? That's the thing about the tight end position. Once you get outside the top five, or this year to me, once you get outside the top four, it's a little bit of a question mark how consistent you're going to be at that position regardless. So how different is that anyway? So give me Noah Fant. I like him a lot. I like him a lot as far as that value goes. And he's not, you know, he's not being overvalued. So you can take him in those late teen rounds or or uh, not that late. I believe I have him somewhere between the 8th and the 10th round trying to remember off the top of my head right now. But he's going to have that value, that athletic ability. Pat Shermer utilizes his tight ends when he has one, especially in the red zone. So Noah Fan's going to be a big part of this offense and he has a great situation around him. That's going to wrap up our conversation for the Denver Broncos. Before we move on, though, I do want to talk to you guys about PropMe, uh, a sponsor that we're really excited about, especially with sports you know, finally coming back soon. And PropMe, what they are is they are a new innovative gaming platform, really the first of its kind. PropMe makes betting from person to person more easy than ever. Designed for new and experienced gamblers alike using straightforward prop bets that can literally be created on anything. You want to bet on what that next play will be? Then create a prop. You want to bet on who's going to win that game of beer pong at your house? Then create a prop. It takes hanging out with your friends to a whole new level. So join today by downloading the PropMe app or go to PropMeLLC.com. And we want to talk about the Chicago Bears now. Ooh, Chicago Bears. It's going to be interesting. Trubisky, Nick Foles, you know, what does Matt Nagy do heading into this season after a disappointing year last year as a game caller, not just from, you know, a quarterback production standpoint, which a lot of was where a lot of the blame went. What's David Montgomery going to be like in his second year? Is there anybody else besides Allen Robinson who's worth owning? A lot of questions. A lot of questions for Chicago Bears when it comes to their fantasy value. And honestly, outside of Allen Robinson, what I will say is that I don't feel good. I don't feel safe about any of the other players, and that includes David Montgomery. I know he'll have decent volume, but I don't know. I don't know what to really expect out of this offense. Big thing is I don't know who's going to be the quarterback. And I'm not. As, I'm not just saying for Week One. I'm pretty positive Mitchell Trubisky is going to be the quarterback for Week One, but for how long? 
You're paying Nick Foles, what, $17, $18 million a year right now. You gave up decent draft capital to trade for him. I have to think he's going to get a shot at some point, especially if Mitchell Trubisky plays like he did last year. Now, if all of a sudden Trubisky somehow turns it on, then okay. But I'm not anticipating that to be the case. I've never been a Trubisky fan to begin with. I've been I've been shouting to the rooftops for years now. There's absolutely nothing special about this guy. Everything about his skill set is average to below average at best. So I don't see him starting for a lot of games. I only have him projected for six games myself. I don't see him starting more than that. Because there's a very real situation here that after six weeks or after six games, the Chicago Bears are two and four. Matt Nagy's going to be feeling the heat at that point. They have to at least get close to making the playoffs. They have to at least have a good second half a run. And I'm not saying Nick Foles is the answer because I'm not a big Nick Foles fan either. Nick Foles is nothing more than a backup quarterback, people. He had one good run. It happens. Quarterbacks have had one good runs at, at different points in their careers. We just got done talking about Case Keenum in the last second with Denver Broncos. It happens. It doesn't mean all of a sudden they're great starting NFL quarterbacks. Nick Foles is the backup quarterback. So I'm not saying he's the answer, but because you're going to be paying him more than Trubisky because you gave up draft capital to trade for him, I do think he gets a shot at some point. And I do think he wants to be in the quarterback for more of the season than Trubisky does. And I have him projected for 10 games. Those other 10 games outside the six. Now, neither one of them are fantasy relevant, right? I mean, I have Foles at 32. I have Mr. Trubisky at 33. Uh, they're ADP. Mr. Trubisky's ADP is 35. And Foles' ADP is 33. They're not fantasy relevant. What can they do for the wide receivers? What can they do for the rest of the team from a fantasy perspective? That's the question. And that's the big reason why I don't know if there's a second wide receiver on the Chicago Bears who's going to be worth anything. Anthony Miller is the only one that maybe, because he'll probably get to play a little bit more slot this season. Uh, if he's able to stay healthy, he is coming along as a dependable wide receiver. Not a star wide receiver, not a great wide receiver, uh, but a, a dependable wide receiver. Um, could he be a wide receiver five? Could he be a guy who's on the back end of your roster? Maybe. But he doesn't have a big ceiling because of the quarterback play. And because of that, I don't think I'm going to be drafting Anthony Miller because you're going to be talking about him in those double-digit rounds. I'd rather take a guy who has a lot more upside. And his ADP right now is wide receiver 57, which is already kind of borderline depending on how big your league is, whether or not a guy would really be drafted. My, my ranking for him is wide receiver 67. I think he's going to be a guy that maybe has some value in the waiver wire you know, throughout the year. And when we talk about these leagues, I'm predominantly talking about it from a 10 or 12 team uh, league perspective, just so you guys are aware. He, he might be somebody to look at if, if Chicago is in rhythm or getting on a little bit of a hot streak in the passing game. He's somebody who could be in line to get maybe six to eight targets. And you're talking about half point PPR leagues that he might have a decent floor, especially when you start going through some of those bye weeks. But I don't think I'm going to be drafting him because, like I say, he just doesn't have the ceiling with the situation around him that a lot of other guys are going to have in that range that i much rather take. Like I have, you know, Henry Ruggs is, is pretty close to his range. I'd rather have Henry Ruggs, who has a much higher ceiling. 
Uh, I'd rather have John Ross, who I think has a much higher ceiling. I'd rather have Brandon Ayuk, who I think has a much higher ceiling. And they're they're all about in the same tier for me when it comes down to. I'd rather have Michael Pittman Jr., who I think has a much higher ceiling. All those are receivers I think are around that same tier territory that you're talking about, at least with my rankings anyway. I'd rather have all those all those guys have higher ceilings than Anthony Miller does. So I guess that would be the long-winded way of saying that I don't think anybody outside of Allen Robinson really has, as far as the pass catchers go, has dependable uh, fantasy value. And as far as Allen Robinson goes, his ADP is 15. I think that's a little high. I love Allen Robinson, but just, again, the quarterback play, I think there's a little bit of a limit to what his ceiling can really be. I'm not too far lower on that. I have him ranked as wide receiver 19 in half-point PPR leagues. I have him getting 131 targets, 86 receptions, just over 1,000 yards, 6 to 7 touchdowns. I think it's a pretty reasonable stat line for Allen Robinson. It, I, I am planning on a little bit of regression from last season, especially with the yards, as you could see. Because I, don't, I just don't think he has a quarterback who's worth the damn. And, and that makes me uneasy when you're talking about these wide receivers. But I do have him for a lot of volume. So that's where it kind of balances itself out, where he's going to get plenty of opportunities, and he himself being a very good wide receiver, he's going to have a high floor for you throughout the year. It's going to be a very good. He's going to be a very good, very good dependable wide receiver too, on a week to week basis. It's basically, what it boils down to. As far as the tight end goes, too, just we'll go back to the running backs. But I just want to capture the pass catchers, you know, these quarterbacks and how they're affecting that. I don't think there's a tight end on the Bears that anybody was really targeting to begin with. I still have a question mark. I don't know who it's going to be. I lean towards Cole Komet being the starter because he's the best all-around tight end even as a rookie on their roster, even though they have like 20 of them. But Jimmy Graham's getting paid a lot of money to be there. I don't know why they paid him. This is this is kind of the equivalency of the Redskins signing Peyton Barber. I, I don't know what the reasoning... I don't know what the amount of money... Why the how they came to that amount of money for that player. I don't know how they were valued at that. And I don't know what the reason for bringing them in was especially after you wound up drafting Cole Clement anyway, not that you knew that beforehand, but even when they signed Jimmy Graham before that, it didn't make any sense. So I don't, I don't know if their plan is to go to tight end set and to use Cole Clement as their, their blocker type, their all around type and use Jimmy Graham as, as one of their pass. I, I, I don't, I don't know what the plan is there. Uh, the point being that neither one of them really have fantasy value. And I don't think we're talking about guys that are going to be streamers at any point either. Now Cole Clement for dynasty purposes. Yeah. I, I love Cole Clement for dynasty purposes. He's an all around tight end. He's in a, team a system that likes to utilize the tight end position if they possibly can with Matt Nagy uh I think he has a very good all-around skill set and will be utilized for years to come and I think you're talking about a guy who could be in a similar mold of a of a Greg Olson type Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. 
go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. So I like Cole Komet down the road. I just I don't think you're going to get anything out of him for redraft leagues. So let's move into the running back position. Because I think this is the only other question mark that a lot of people have. David Montgomery. Expectations for him. Where can you value him at? What to expect? So here's here's what we'll point out with David Montgomery that I think it, we can all agree on and be comfortable with. The volume will be there. We know he's going to get pretty much all the carries, right? What is he going to get reception-wise? How involved is Tariq Cohen going to be? Because you have to imagine Tariq Cohen's going to be more involved than he was last season. Because last season kind of just got out of hand and kind of got away from him. And they didn't wind up involving him enough. So you have to figure Tariq Cohen's going to get the bulk of the receptions. I think David Montgomery can catch. I'm not saying that he can. I don't think he's one of those. He's, I don't think he should be a pitch and hold running back. He's kind of like in that situation, but you're not going to keep Tariq Cohen off the field. And I don't have them ranked that far away from each other. I have David Montgomery as the RB22, and I have Tariq Cohen as the RB28 in half of PBR leagues. The ADP is much different. Now, David Montgomery's ADP is 24, so we're pretty close there, but his ADP for Tariq Cohen is 43. That's way too low. I'm not a Tariq Cohen fan either. I don't plan on owning any shares of Tariq Cohen this season because I think his his ceiling is limited by the fact that I don't expect him to run the ball very often. And this isn't the Patriots offense where you know he could be James White and get 100 targets. I don't think he's going to get quite that many either or, or be an Austin Eckler. But he's going to be involved, especially when talking half-point and full-point PPR leagues, he's going to be involved enough in the passing game, I believe, to have a high volume there, to have some value there, to be a flex guy. Does he have the, the, the does he have the ceiling of being RB? No, but a flex guy, a solid flex piece, especially a half point, full point PPR. Yeah, because they're just setting themselves up in a situation where Trubisky knows that he has Nick Foles breathing down his neck. Nick Foles knows that this is probably his last shot at being a starting quarterback anywhere in his career. Again, at this point. So what do quarterbacks do when they're in a situation, especially guys who don't have, you know, who have really frankly subpar level skill sets? They usually will play it safe. They'll play it more conservative, which means more dump off passes, which is why I think Tariq Cohen is going to be pretty heavily involved this season. Now, David Montgomery, like I said, I had puts him on the cusp of an RB2 in 12-man in leagues or a top-end flex play, and that's what I think he is. He's going to have enough volume. I think he's a very good running back. He's definitely way better than what he showed last year. I think he's going to be a guy who can definitely bump up his yards per carry average. But I have a lot of question marks about that offensive line and the, the offense in general. Offensive line is still going to be banged up. Can they even stay healthy throughout the season with the guys that they do have back? And if everybody squeezes them because no one's afraid of Trubisky going deep on them, if you're going to squeeze that offense, it's going to make it really, really difficult to be efficient per carry. So I just, there's, he has a decent floor, but that ceiling is not there. When you break it down, when you break down the situation and what they have in front of them. But that wraps up our Chicago Bears analysis. We have one more team to get to. One more team. But before we do that, I do want to talk to you guys about one of our great, last but not least, sponsors of the show. And that's called Trophy Smack. And I want you guys to commemorate your league winner in the best possible way. 
There is no other company in the business that does it better than Trophy Smack. They create trophies of all sizes, belts, and rings with a variety of colors along with free engraving and free shipping. And now you can get a free ring with your purchase of a trophy or belt if you use the promo code BELLYUP. So click on your Trophy Smack link on Twitter or Facebook or go to trophysmack.com and use the promo code BELLYUP on your order today. Now, last but not least, we got the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm glad we capped it off with this with this profile series. I really am. Just kind of looking at it. It was a great one to cap it off on because there's a lot of interesting conversations going on with these teams from a fantasy perspective. And, and boy, oh, boy, the Cincinnati Bengals one of them. What can Joe Burrow be in his rookie season? What can A.J. Green be after missing a year of football? You know, is Zach Taylor going to be able to go back to running the offense? Maybe he always wanted to run, just couldn't last year. Uh, Joe Mixon, is he really going to hold out? If he doesn't hold out, what are we looking at for Joe Mixon? How high could his ceiling be? Could John Ross be something? I think the only guy who doesn't really have a question mark around him, oddly enough, is, is Tyler Boyd. I shouldn't say oddly enough, but we know what he's going to be, right? We know he's going to be a solid wide receiver three. We know he's going to be a guy who's going to get, you know, that seven to nine target range probably per game. He's going to be a guy who's going to be used as a safety blanket. We know he's going to have pretty much a high floor every single week. He's going to be a dependable piece in your fantasy lineups. I have him ranked as wide receiver 30. I'm looking up his his, his ADP now as we speak. I believe it's around the same territory. Yeah, his, his ADP right now is, is wide receiver 33. This is, you know, ADP consensus, by the way. We use all platforms here because we're not tied to anyone in particular. So that's the only one I don't have a question mark for as far as what to expect. But let's start let's start with Joe Burrow. Okay. Now Joe Burrow, when I think about it from a scheme standpoint and from a weapons standpoint. I believe Joe Burrow does have, one, he does have redraft value. Two, I do believe he has the potential to be a quarterback sleeper at the back end of your drafts who does have potential to be a top 12 guy. Now, having said that, I have him ranked at QB 20 based on the projections that I have that I think are a reasonable expectation for him in his rookie season. 4,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, 13 picks, maybe rushing for about 150 to 200 yards two or three rushing touchdowns. Pretty de- a decent stat line for a rookie. It would not shock me for a second if he outperformed that because of the weapons that he has in front of him, because of Zach Taylor's offense. If Zach Taylor runs the offense that he really wants to run, which is Sean McVay's level offense of, th- of predominantly using three receivers, like I said, last year he couldn't really run the way he wanted to. It was, just, you know, Bengals were a mess. Everybody knows that. But if the offensive line is able to stay a little bit healthier... They have invested some draft picks over the past couple of years in that offensive line. They have a chance to at least be, not good, but a chance to be a competent offensive line. If that offensive line could be a competent offensive line, the caliber of weapons around it should be able to take care of itself. I mean, once again, John Ross fits the role with Brandon Cooks perfectly. A.J. Green is a is a superstar version of Robert Woods, and, and Tyler Boyd is a very good Cooper Cup comparison in that role. Uh, you know, Joe Mixon is, is probably a good comparison to what Todd Gurley was for the, for the Rams at that point, too. So all the pieces are in place. 
all the pieces are in place. And on top of it, I think Joe Burrow, his skill set, because he attacks the intermediate part of the field so well, because he does a very good job of reading defenses as part of his skill set coming out of college, I think he, he fits that offense to a T. It's perfect for him. So there's a situation where he very well could be set up to uh, play above and beyond where I have him ranked and his ADP of QB 18. So we're not too far apart there as far as the ADP and the rankings go. So I think he could be a sleeper. But what this is suggesting is that he's not somebody who you really have to draft. He's somebody who might be available to you as a person who's looking to quarterback stream throughout the season to pick up. And a big reason why is because you know they're playing the Chargers week one. The Chargers, at least when they're healthy, uh, they're they're they don't have a big depth chart on defense, but when they're healthy, and they should be healthy week one, assuming, that's going to be a very good defense this year. And I don't know if you want to start Joe Burrow week one against that Chargers defense. So because of that, I don't think he's a guy that you want to, if, you are, if you're going in with the notion that you're going to be streaming quarterbacks this season and you decide that you're going to wait till. I don't know, the 14th, 15th, 16th round to take your quarterback. I don't know if Joe Burrow is going to be that guy that you should be targeting because of that. Because if you you can't draft a guy, you can't draft a quarterback that you plan on streaming that you can't play week one. Those two things don't go hand in hand. So for me, if you're going to draft Joe Burrow, you're doing it because you're, you're drafting him as your second quarterback. Now, of course, we're talking about leagues, you know, from we're not talking about super flex leagues or, or two quarterback. We're talking about one quarterback leagues, uh, you know, the standard industry, half point PPR, standard industry leagues with, with one quarterback. That's what we're talking about here. So if you're going to draft Joe Burrow, it's got to be because he's your second quarterback and you want to stash him to see what he can become. Because maybe you took uh, maybe you took a Cam Newton or maybe you took uh, an Aaron Rodgers later on. Maybe you took a Josh Allen later on and you just want to supplement them with a second quarterback to see if, you know, can that guy maybe break out in case these guys don't, you know, get reach that ceiling that you would like to have out of your quarterback situation. Maybe you don't necessarily want to have to stream every single week. That's the situation which you draft Joe Burrow in. Otherwise, I just let him beat on the waiver wire. But I'm okay with either way. I'm just saying you can't, Joe Burrow can't be your pick if you're playing on streaming the quarterback position if he's going to be your only quarterback on the roster. That, that can't be your draft pick. I don't think you can be comfortable playing him week one. So that's, that's the note to take about with Joe Burrow, the most important one. His skill set as a rookie is good enough to get the ball out. He's going to spread it out. That's what his natural inclination is to do. That's what the offense is going to be set up to do. So as far as A.J. Green, John Ross, Tyler Boyd go, I don't worry about them getting the ball enough. As Again, that goes back to why we are comfortable with where we think Tyler Boyd is at least going to be. The question mark becomes, what is A.J. Green now? Did the year off hurt or help him? I lean towards help him. When you're talking about a, a veteran star like A.J. Green, you're not talking about a guy who has to be playing all the time in order to be good. One, he has a superior skill set as far as his height-speed combination goes. He has the veteran savvy. He knows how to get open. So you're talking when you're talking about guys like that, you're talking about him in the sense of he doesn't have to play a lot to get back to where he was to be able to make his presence felt on the field. So I lean towards this helping him more so than not. He could have came back last year. It was not an injury that was actually a season-ending injury. It was an injury that he had to go on the pup list for. But if he really wanted to push it, if he really wanted to play, he could have played. But there was no point. We knew the Cincinnati Bengals looked like the worst team in the NFL. They were heading that direction. He was on the last year of his deal 
There is no reason to take the risk for that team who's already guaranteed a decent amount of money, and then he winds up setting the franchise tag this year anyway. So there was, there was no incentive for A.J. Green to come back, and that was ultimately why he did not come back. So I believe he was able to take this year and just get healthy. A healthy A.J. Green is a wide receiver one. That's what a healthy A.J. Green is. Whenever he's been on the field, whenever he's been at 100%, he's a wide receiver one. That's never changed. And I don't think he's lost a step. Like I said, I think this year off, if anything, for a guy like A.J. Green, helped him quite a bit, helped him get healthy again. And I have him ranked as wide receiver 15. Now you guys are like, well, Dan, you just said if he's healthy, he's wide receiver one. Obviously, you're going to have to factor in that him lasting 16 games is unlikely. I have him projected for 13 games, and I think that might even be a little bit high based on what we've seen out of A.J. Green for the past couple of seasons. I don't know if you can confidently expect anything more than eight games, uh, but I have him projected for 13. So obviously because of that, he he becomes a wide receiver too. But when he's on the field on a week-to-week basis, I do have him as a wide receiver one because I have him about 14 points a game in half-point PPR leagues. Well, guess who else I have in that range? Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, who are my wide receivers two and three in half-point PPR leagues. So I have him as a competing for top three wide receiver on a week-to-week scoring basis when he's out there on the field, which means if you draft him as a wide receiver two, 15th wide receiver, let's say, while he's playing, you're going to be getting more value than that out of him. It's going to be, do you get that for 16 games? The answer to that is probably no. And then so the other follow-up to that is, do you have him when it matters the most in the playoffs? And the answer to that is, who knows, (laughs) right? Who knows? So that's always been the conversation with A.J. Green. His ADP is 29. I think that's too low. I understand why his ADP is 29. I, I get it. The injury factor for some people matters more than it necessarily matters for me. Uh, some people aren't on board with the idea that him taking off a year is definitely as good as I look at it. I understand the argument for why his ADP is 29, uh, but I do believe his true value is going to be wide receiver 15 because I know what he is when he's on the field. And this is probably going to be as healthy as he's been in the last three years going into this season. Now, John Ross is the one. Look, I don't think you're going to draft John Ross. And I have him ranked as wide receiver 65. His ADP is wide receiver 63. So we're about in the same territory as far as that goes. But is he a sleeper? Yeah. I mean, look, he's fast. He's fast in an offense that he's not going to be getting a lot of attention in. And he's also had some injury issues as well. And that's been the big derailment of his career thus far. And I've never been a big John Ross fan. I never thought he was going to be a superstar wide receiver. I always thought him being drafted the ninth pick overall was, was stupid by the Bengals. Uh, because it just wasn't a guy who had, you know, route rank capabilities. He doesn't have the greatest hands in the world. But when you have A.J. Green, when you have Tyler Boyd on the field, when you have that team, and not a lot of people are paying attention to you, when you have that kind of speed in a good offensive scheme, again, it opens up the door for big games. So DFS, best ball, even I, and I think he's going to be even a little bit step above that where he's going to be more valuable than just those type of leagues. I do think he's somebody who is going to present some value to you in bye weeks as a streaming option as a, as a home run threat flyer type of play. I do think he's going to offer that opportunity to you, especially if this offense is playing well as we get into, you know, weeks four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, when we start getting into those bye week areas. So I think he's going to be interesting. I think the quarterback situation sets up well for him there. But I don't think he's somebody that you're going to be drafting. Now, 
Joe Mixon. First of all, let's assume he doesn't hold out, and I think the 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 expectation is leaning towards that he's not going to wind up happening. Remember, when they talk about Dalvin Cook, when that report came out, it's it's much more difficult for team for not teams for players to hold out now. It's much more difficult. Uh, number one, the the fines for missing practices those are no longer allowed to be rescinded. So a lot of times what would happen is a player would hold out. And yes, there was always fines for missing mandatory camp and missing mandatory practices and whatnot. But a lot of times once the contract was worked out, that fine would get rescinded. Uh, hardly any other player, hardly any player who held out and signed their contract with their team ever actually had to pay the fine. But now it's mandatory. That's part of the new rules. So now you have to pay that fine. That changes some things. We know that there's changes with the accrued amount of time towards being able to be free agent eligible. So there's just a lot of things in place that make it a lot harder to be able to hold out. That's why I lean towards Joe Mixon not actually missing any games. We'll put it that way. Joe Mixon has a superstar level skill set. I don't, I don't know if there's anybody out there who's really going to argue with that at this point. We know he can run the ball. We know he can catch the ball. He's a big back who can run fast. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing in the territory of a running back that you'd want out of them that he cannot do or bring to the table. He has a superstar skill set. Now, last year, there was some issue where he had an ankle issue. Offensive line was terrible. Offense in general was terrible. And Gino Valle Bernard was playing a bit more than I think anybody expected to, especially early on in the season. Fast forward the second half of the year, especially after their bye week. All of a sudden, Junior Vire Bernard goes back to being a backup like you should be. Um, you know, they put Andy Dalton back in and take Ryan Finley out. They started featuring Joe Mixon as the workhorse of the offense, not just the workhorse of the backfield, but the workhorse of the offense. And pretty much just handed him the keys to the offense. And he performed very, very well even behind a terrible offensive line on a bad on a bad offense on a bad team. A team that was trailing by a lot, by the way, too. And he performed as an RB1 from then on out. Now, for some people, they might have been too late. And some people might have gotten burned on Joe Mixon last season. And I get it. I get it if you're one of those people. Yeah, it would hurt because if you had Joe Mixon, there's a likelihood that it was very, very difficult for you to make the playoffs if you even did. But if you did make the playoffs, Joe Mixon probably helped you win your championship because the way he performed down the stretch. Or at least get you there because week sixteen he he didn't he didn't have a good week week sixteen that was the one week in the second half of the season he didn't have a very good week but uh, the rest of it he did very well in so he probably got you a deep run in the playoffs at the very least. Joe Mixon's a star guy. I have him ranked as the running back seven. His ADP is running back seven. So I'm right in line with them with their right there again. He is worth a first round pick in my book. Again, the offensive scheme fits him. And with Gino, it, it, you know, assuming he stays healthy, with Gino Bernard definitely being a backup, I think they've gotten that out of their system. I think Zach Taylor realizes what he has in Joe Mixon now, what he needs to do. You're talking about a guy who's going to get feature workload, where he's going to get all three down work. You're talking about a guy who overall, between carries and receptions, should be looking at somewhere around 300 touches. I like Joe Mixon a lot. He, he could be a guy who really makes a name for himself and puts him amongst the other superstars of the league this year, amongst the, the, the McCaffreys, the Elliots, the Kamaras, the Barclays, the Cooks, the Henrys. He's going to be putting his name right with those guys as far as recognized superstar NFL running backs after this season. I fully believe that. 
fully believe that. That is going to wrap up the show. That's going to wrap up the Team Profile series. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. I had a great time. But that's right. Next week, remember, we are back next week. We are back with the top five, bus five, sleeper five of the quarterback position. That means we're also back with the MD Nation hotline mailbag segment again. Make sure you guys go ahead and check that out. Call the MD Nation hotline, 609-362-2480. Leave your comment, your question, your rant, whatever the case may be. We'll get you on the show. Make sure you call and leave a voicemail. Contact us on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow on Twitter, on Facebook. Make sure you're following us on Twitter for those player news update notifications. Make sure you're checking out the Belly Up Fantasy Sports, www.bellyupfantasysports.com for all my rankings that are going to be out. The tiers are up as well right now. Uh, we're going to be updating that as we go. You can also check them out for episodes from the Belly Up Fantasy Live show and from this show on YouTube. There is also on the menu for you. And of course, you can check out any one of the several great articles. We have a lot of baseball stuff out right now. Baseball starts uh, started yesterday. So you play fantasy baseball. We have that covered for you as well. Very exciting time. Very excited that we are a week away from training camps and actually starting to get some real information on these guys heading into our drafts. So I'll see you guys all again really, really soon. Everybody have a great weekend and be safe until uh, next week. Thank you for listening to Belly Up Sports. MD's Fantasy Football Show. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.